Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Happy Thursday, everybody. Oh, the week's winding down. <laughs> Great show planned for you. We got experts and guests, and we're also going to be talking about different relational styles, what to do, what to think, perspectives. As always, Question of the Night is up on our Loveline IG page, so weigh in on that. And of course, we'll be doing DMs. If you got a DM for us, slide on into the DMs on our Loveline IG page. And uh, Loveline's podcast, if for those that have missed something, want to go back and re-listen or share, it's podcast over at wearechannelq.com. Wanted to open the show by talking about a brand new term we got now. Now, we're talking a lot about doom scrolling. Scrolling through your phone, just seeing a lot of anxiety-inducing things, pandemic, oh, election. At the beginning of the election results were like, eh, not looking so good. But then we started to move into something called glee refreshing. Ah, yes, that happy feeling as you're refreshing and seeing all the election results coming in, moving in the direction of freedom and liberation and Biden. Still a lot of work to do, but it's still a good move getting away from Trump's America. So glee refreshing. It's that feeling inside when what you're refreshing and seeing on your uh, social media is putting a smile on your face because things are going good. So kind of take that word forward. Try to do more glee refreshing, less doom scrolling. If what you're following is making you feel bad, unfollowed or put the phone down and kind of scroll through the things, put a little bit of a smile on your face. Also, um, digital fatigue. That's something else we were talking a lot about. And uh, check in on that. Are you exhausted when you're on your social media? How do you feel when you put it down? When you put your phone down, you should feel good or at least neutral. If you're feeling bad, then you probably got some uh, digital fatigue, meaning way too much time on there or the kinds of things that you're looking at while on there. So before you pick up your phone, what ask yourself, what am I looking for? Do I need something specific? Let me just go look at that. Otherwise, am I in a bad mood and I want to laugh? Good, find things like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? But we should be using our technology and service of enhancing ourselves, our mental health and our lives, not the opposite. So check in how you feel during and after, right? No more digital fatigue. Um, also, the movie Witches, it was a remake. I, I wish they had stopped doing all these remakes because the originals are always better and people miss out on that. But Anne Hathaway's in it. Uh, she plays a witch. It's on HBO Max, I believe. And it's getting a little bit of pushback, and I get it, from the disability community. Because they're saying, look, every time someone plays the role of someone who's mean, bad, or a villain, why do they often add a disability to make them especially criminal or heinous, right? 
it gives disability a bad name. It makes it just one more hurdle to get over. And I agree with that. She was like missing fingers. And there's just all these other elements where they're like, and we also used to talk about that with queer baiting, where the villains often had like a queerness to them, or if they were male identified, they had like a femininity and they kind of read as gay. And it's like, can you stop attributing these um, elements to a negative spin? Like make the lead, who's a beautiful, great person, also disabled, because there's beauty and strengths in that. Let the lead just happen to be gay or lesbian and not centered around that or being, you know, a struggle because of that, right? Starting to give just more enhanced, supportive, sustainable visions, but also it's just truth, <laughs> you know? But again, the disability, disability rights activists, which I try to be uh, as a good ally, that's in there. So let's stop making the villains also have disabilities, you know? Let's let some of the leads be disabled, uh, led and played by disabled actors and actresses because for many of them, that's the only kinds of roles they would get. So give it to them. Um, and also let it have a strength-based perspective and not just focus on, you know, we call inspiration porn where, man, they really overcame that. Thank God they were able to because otherwise their life would have been dark and desperate. Um, and also I just wanted to touch upon this. Y'all are going to be like, ooh, trigger, trigger. Mega church pastor Carl Lentz, I wasn't familiar with him, but he leads a big church here in LA where all the celebrities go. He also was working with Oprah. He was let go for what they called moral failings. Basically, he cheated. Now, I'm not pro-cheating. I think it's a horrible solution for a bigger problem. If you want to cheat, you need to address what that's about and talk to your partner about it. Hey, I want to have sex with other people. Hey, I'm not happy with our marriage. Whatever it is, deal with it. Don't make such a painful decision behind someone's back, right? That's horrible. But I also wanted to say cheating's pretty common. It's something we all bump up against in some level. We have a high cheating rate. And so we also have to look at the kind of relationships we're creating that are sometimes leading to a person wanting to cheat. Again, I'm not blaming the victim. I'm not taking responsibility off the person who makes that choice. There are so many choices as to how to handle a difficulty and cheating is never <laughs> the solution ever. It just harms you and the other person and the person you're cheating with. Um, so deal with your stuff. That's kind of what I wanted to drive home. I get it. Relationships are difficult. Monogamy is very hard. Most people fail at it. But like, don't create a relationship that, that, that needs you to cheat. You know what I mean? Deal with what's going on. Talk to your partner about what your needs are, right? Cheating's a symptom of something else. Deal with that something else. Cheating doesn't resolve anything. Although for some people, it's the only thing that lets them stay in that relationship or marriage, but work on changing what it is about the relationship or marriage that makes you want to cheat. It'll be better for you and everyone else. Give your partner who you're cheating on the right to maybe be part of the solution as opposed to just taking that away from them. So before you're gonna cheat, ask yourself, what is this about? What is this a symptom of, right? What am I trying to solve? And what is a better, healthier, more sustainable and compassionate way to solve that? Because there's many. All right, y'all. Question of the night up on our Loveland IG page and our stories will be weighing on that. And as I said, talking about different relational styles and what we need to look for and also what it means. And of course, we'll be doing some DMs. You are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. And now we're going to go to our first guest, Dr. Josh Claypo. How are you? Welcome to the show. It's good to be here with you, Chris. How's your uh, mental health doing right now in all the different intersecting things that are happening in our culture? I guess as good as one could expect. I get asked that question all the time, and we're in some interesting times. And um, so, yeah, I think I'm doing generally okay, as psychologists go. I like the word okay. It's the best we got right now sometimes. So seasonal affective disorder, for those that are not familiar with that, how do you explain that? Uh, the best way I can des describe it is it's, depression, um, like we think of depression, clinical depression, but it's 
triggered by the change of seasons. And that's something that's it's hard for people to wrap their head around because we tend to think about depression, you know, as something that comes on maybe a big life event um, or a series of life events that trigger um, a, a clinical situation. But with seasonal affective disorder, it is the change of the season uh, and specifically the less daylight that literally triggers um, a depression like clinical depression. So we're talking about something different than, you know, just winter blues or the blahs. It is a full-blown uh, mood disorder. Now, I remember when I was a child, I had a brother that suffered from this, but it, it never went diagnosed. He never saw a therapist or a mental health professional. And I remember him always struggling and we didn't know what to make of it. And then I know in his journey, when he found a term for it, he was able to find solutions. So what would be the symptoms that someone would want to look for to help uh, differentiate between, like you said, winter blues versus seasonal affective disorder? Well, you know, there's definitely some overlap, but you have to think about in terms of severity, the severity and and the duration. So things like uh, a sad mood or irritability, uh, difficulty kind of getting out of bed, getting going, kind of slowing, feeling like you're sort of sludging through things, lack of interest in things, um, problems with concentration, problems with sleep, thoughts that life isn't worth living. Again, these these symptoms are going to sound familiar to your familiar to your listeners because they're the symptoms of depression. And the difference is these symptoms need to be there, um, five or more of them. They need to be there for more than two weeks, again, like clinical depression, but they need to have an onset or be triggered by the change in the seasons or change in uh, sort of the daylight and the timing, which is also why we tend to see more seasonal affective disorder in the in the farther northern states or regions of the country where it's darker, colder, uh, more intense that way. We'll be right back to talk more about seasonal affective disorder. All right. Well done. All right. Let's do it again. Good. That's it. I won't stop you anything else. Now we're we'll ready to go. <laughs> All right. And I think one of the beautiful things is that this is very treatable. And I know that my brother had really positive outcomes by following some of the treatment protocols. So what kinds of treatments are available for people that identifies this? So there's a couple things. Um, one, people, a lot of people have heard of the idea of light therapy or phototherapy. Um, so before we even get into things like antidepressant medication or you know cognitive behavioral or other sorts of talk therapies, literally exposing the person to uh, certain forms of daylight Uh, either naturally or with like a light box that's prescribed by a physician can help regulate their their physiology such that their mood improves. Now, again, we're not talking about they go from depressed to not depressed, but it absolutely can be helpful. And then if you add in there uh, for some antidepressant medication and as well as talk therapy so that they have the tools to deal with it as it's happening, but also to head some of this off. And, and I want to be clear about this. Not everybody who suffers from seasonal affect disorder dives into a deep depression every single winter. It, there's definitely variation in the severity um, when it comes on and how long it stays. And I think that's really powerful. When you see the winter coming or the darkness coming, we can kind of prepare ourselves ahead of time. So let's talk about special situations such as the one we have right now where we have seasonal affective in the midst of a pandemic when people are worrying about employment, finances. So what are we looking at when we see the combination of those two? Well, as I'm sure, you know, you've seen as well, 
the levels right now of depression alone, we won't even talk about anxiety disorders or anything else, just the levels of depression are, are skyrocketing relative to what we've seen before the pandemic um, at the same time of the year. So what we're expecting is, number one, we're going to see greater numbers of depression overall, even though seasonal affective disorder, Chris, only rep represents about 10 to 20 percent of all depressive episodes are due to seasonal affective. So we're going to see more depression. We're also going to see people who suffer from seasonal affective disorder have a tougher time because it's not just the triggering um, by the seasons. It's all the other things going on. Well, I'm a big proponent, even with the light therapy uh, and some of the antidepressant medications, definitely the psychotherapy as well, because you've got to have the tools to cope um, and to help get yourself through. So we're going to see kind of as mental health professionals talking about, we're going to see, I wouldn't call it a pandemic, but maybe an epidemic of mental health problems right now. Man, what a tough year for all of us. Dr. Josh Claypo, thank you so much for being a part of our show. My pleasure, Chris. Have a beautiful night. Coming up next, we'll be sliding into those DMs. All right, y'all, we are back now. It's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Slide into DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex of world. We want you to explore with confidence. Here we go. Hey, Dr. Chris, I read this article and wanted to know what you thought about it. The article is about love at first sight. It might be more complex than you think. What do you think about that? Well, I'll tell you what I think about it. <laughs> love at first sight is not usually love at first sight. It's often lust at first sight. Why? Well, because we can't love someone when we don't know them, right? It's lust, and that's okay. That's not a bad thing. We need that lust because that lust is what makes us get their attention. That lust is what empowers us to walk across the room and ask them out or to swipe right, and uh, it's hormonal, and that's okay. You're just attracted to them. You have no idea who they even are, right? We haven't engaged them enough, but we're in love with the idea of them. We're in love with the surface of them, and that's okay. That's what draws us in. It's what keeps us coming back, and as we get to know them, we then assess compatibility, because in the beginning, it's just chemistry. Are they hot? Are they sexy? Does my body want their body? And then it becomes about compatibility. What happens when our personalities come together? What do we create? What do we co-create? And is that what I want? And then we look at compatibility, all the different levels. First one is psychological, psycho-emotional. You know what I mean? Do we have the same range of depth, the same level of closeness? Uh, what does it feel like to be with them? Then physical, sexual, affectional. Are we sexually compatible? Do we want the same things in the same ways, right? Then it's social. Do we like to do the same events on the weekends and holidays? Are they drinkers? And I'm a non-drinker. Do they like bars and I like the outdoors? Assessing those pieces. Um, and then finally, ethical compatibility. What is their view on the world and politics? Because that matters and infused with everything. What we say, words we use or don't use, how we uh, talk about people, um, all those different things matter. And you want multiple levels of compatibility so that when one of them is kind of absent, we still have these other ones to rely upon. It strengthens it. But if we only have one level, like they're just hot, oh man, you have a lot of passion, but you're going to be miserable and it won't have a lot of sustainability because those other factors mean more. Um, you want sexual and, and, and compatibility on that level, but that's not enough to give you long-term happiness. You really need the psychological compatibility, some of the ethical, some of the social, and if that's not there, it's not going to feel good. And when those things aren't there, thank God you have that chemistry and fire and passion because that's what keeps you together is you're not getting along well right now, but thank God we are so hungry for each other. That's why, again, you want as much of that as possible because it all kind of feeds into itself. But again, at times one will be absent, right? Like 
due to illness, travel, how we feel about our bodies, medication, we might not be interested in sex. So thank God that we like to hike together and have certain kinds of conversations and all that because that's what keeps us together, right? If we didn't have that, we got nothing if it's just sex, right? And for people where it's just sex, just have a sexual relationship. It's not meant to be more. But for people where all that other those other levels are there, that's going to be more robust. And that's what gives you more long-term sustainability and long-term happiness in a relationship. Because our lives aren't built around sex. You know what I mean? It's a small percentage of the time. It's a time issue. It's an energy issue. Stay hydrated, but still. Um, we rely on those other factors, right? When you're walking, spending time at home or going to dinner, it's those other factors, the ethical and the psychological, emotional that really matter in those moments. Doesn't matter how hot they are. That gets old very quickly. And <clears throat> as we move into a relationship where we want a lot of consistency, some of that fire starts to drop. And so thank God for these other levels because that's what keeps you kind of hanging on and coming back. So it's, it's, a, it's a comprehensive thing. But don't confuse chemistry with compatibility. And early on, that love is going to be more chemistry-based. You don't, you don't know that person, right? So you love the idea of them. And then as you get to know who they actually are, which takes months, right? You have to have different encounters with them. What's it like with them on the weekend? What's it like with them during the week? What's it like with them during a holiday? What's it like with them when you've had a rough time or they've had a rough day, right? And once we start to encounter all those things, then we can really assess the other levels and we can really use words like love, right? Because we really can believe that we can trust it, us, them, because we've been through things. Because it's through conflict that we really learn what, what we're made of, right? That's what tells me more about a couple is how they manage conflict, do they resolve it well? Do they stay together? And that's when trust is built. Trust is not built when things are good. Enjoy things when they're good. That's not when trust is built. Trust is built through times of conflict when they're still there and we resolve well. Bam. Focus on that. All right, coming up next, we're going to be talking about some attachment style stuff. Basically, it just means <clears throat> relational styles and how it's really important to be aware of ours and theirs and what happens when we come together. Dictates emotional health and mental health. All right, y'all. Question of the night, as always, is also up on our Loveland IG page in the story. So weigh in on that. We'll be right back with Doreen Dodge McGee to talk more about technology and how it's let us down. You are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, now let's go to our next guest, Dr. Doreen Dodge McGee. How are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here. How's your mental health doing right now through all the different things that are happening in the world? It's exhausting, isn't it? I think our stamina, or at least my stamina feels like it's, you know, flagging at times, but I'm doing what I can to take good care of myself. That's right. We're doing, we're doing the best we can. I keep saying, dropping the bar a little bit, 60%, 70%, that's all we got to give right now, right? Yes. My motto is good enough is both good and enough. I love that. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about technology, which of course is a big topic. Technology is everywhere. Um, what, what effects are we seeing on uh, our mental health and relationships as a result of the way we're using technology? Yeah, well, it's really tricky because we are being very benefited by tech. It allows us to be entertained, to be connected, to work, to school, even in this uh, time of physical distancing. But there are some profound negative impacts. We're seeing a lot of um, kind of an inability to focus or a decreased ability to focus and to delay tending to distractions. Um, that's becoming harder and harder. You know, we're getting just overly distracted and we, t we have access now to our screens all the time. <laughs> and so we give into that more, which eats away both at our focus and also at a sense of what I call an internal locus of control, which is that ability to come back to center, to calm ourselves down, to keep ourselves from do scrolling, <laughs> to um, find things that actually kind of soothe our bodies and our minds and bring us back to a state of emotional regulation. 
Yeah, I you know, I start always with myself and and knowing that you were coming on in the topic, I was kind of tracking myself this morning. And I, I, anytime I had a moment, quote unquote, free, I would reach for my phone to try to fill that moment. I thought, where's my ability to just be still with myself, right? Yeah, we have lost it. And I, I say that if all Americans could commit to 10 minutes a day of being inconvenienced, uncomfortable and bored, we would undo some of the negative effects we see as a result of our tech use. You know, that just that simple time, like you're saying, of just sitting and being still or when we hit a red light not reaching for our phone and actually taking that time to kind of check in with ourselves or take some deep breaths. These can have a profound impact, even though they're tiny chunks of time. And and let's talk about relationships, because when I'm working with couples doing couples or marital therapy, one of the things we'll talk a lot about is not feeling connected. And so I'll bring up the topic of, are we using technology as like an intimacy buffer? Are you saying hello or engaging while on your laptop or on your phone? So talk to us a little bit about how it can really keep us separated from those we care about. It does. It really forces us to isolate from the people that we are in physical proximity with. And it forces us to do the work of kind of this um, multitasking or what technologists call task switching, which is doing one thing with our screen and also trying to connect with another person at the same time, which we know the research tells us over and over and over that task switching and multitasking, especially in communication and intimate relationships, decreases our sense of satisfaction with both ourselves and the communication we have with our partner, therefore really hurting the connection. So this is another place where just setting our devices down, doing one thing at a time, communicating well, um, or you know, doing an activity with our partner can have a significant impact on both our relational health and our personal health. I love, I love the word one thing at a time because that's what I keep trying to tell people to do. If, if you want to be on your phone, be on your phone, but put the movie on pause. If you want to watch a movie, put your phone away. And I'm one of those people, and this annoys a lot of individuals because everyone's still trying to multitask. But when someone's talking to me, if they pick up their phone, I always go, I'll wait. And it's not me trying to be rude. It's me trying to say, like, I'm a person. I deserve full attention, right? We want more of that. It is true. It's really interesting to me that one of the things that technologists and researchers will list as one of the best positive impacts of overuse of technology is that we become better task switchers and better at asynchronous communication, which means you know having these uncompleted, uh, more shallow conversations while doing other things. And I think that's actually eroding the health of many, many relationships right now. So you, so you support my boundary setting. <laughs> I do. And, you know, we have to own that these devices and apps that are brought to us on them are created with addictive design. So they're created to make it hard for us to set them aside. And they're also created to give us much more kind of dopamine release and even release of certain hormones that can be much more satisfying than sometimes our interpersonal interactions are. So it's going to take discipline. I know it's going to take discipline and really hard work which we have not trained ourselves to have in order to do what will make us healthy. Uh, So in one of the articles you wrote, you referenced something, and I love this term, uh, third quarter phenomenon. And when you went through what that means, I really related to that. So share that with our viewers. Yeah, so the third quarter phenomenon comes out of research around um, times when people are in periods of prolonged distress and also socially isolated. So um, research in submarines or in uh, space travel. And uh, it basically involves things like burnout, like uh, feeling kind of thin 
around the edges, feeling like we don't have very much insulation, we're more reactive, we're emotionally dysregulated. And I think we are definitely in the third quarter phenomenon of the pandemic. The tricky thing is, is that in the research we have around this phenomenon, we those folks have known when the end date of their experiences, and we do not know the end date. So it means really treating this time of social distancing much more like a marathon than a sprint, and making sure that we are taking breaks as and when we can, especially taking breaks from things like technology that do dysregulate us, and making sure we are well to our bodies so that we can maintain the prolonged distress with the lack of normal rewards. Wow, yeah, that was that was well said, not knowing when the end is going to necessarily arrive, and so we have to kind of be in it for a marathon. Dr. Doreen Dodger-McGee, thank you so much for being a part of our show. Thank you, thank you. Have a really great day. You too, be well. Alrighty, we are back. And we're going to talk about something that I think is one of the more important things you can ever learn about relationships. And it's a very, very intellectual, hyper-academic topic. It's called attachment theory, and maybe some people are familiar with it. It's definitely rooted in what we call interpersonal neurobiology, which just means that we have literal research that examines both the psychological components of this, but also the biological things. And what it really teaches us is that... <clears throat> When you form an attachment with someone, and I'm going to clarify what that means, uh, your your brain and your nervous system really wire together, right? We're just separated by skin. Our brain is truly a social organ. It's created socially. Uh, we do the most learning within social experiences. Um, interacting and relational moments are what really reorganize our brain. And attachment takes time. You know, early on in a relationship, you can feel very strongly about someone and believe and use all sorts of powerful words. Uh, believe that it's forever, believe that we're a perfect match, believe that we're in love and and go with that. I'm not really worried about what you call it. Yeah, you can say you can fall in love within a couple of minutes. Sure, you can. It can feel very, very, very strong. But in the beginning of a relationship, it's important to also recognize though that we cannot assess compatibility. Compatibility takes time. Compatibility is when we see what happens when our two personalities come together throughout a period of time and around difficult moments and through the holidays. But we have to really see what, what do these people create together? Because who we are within relationships are going to be contextualized. Uh, who the partner is matters. And so each relationship, we can look like a very different relational person. But the bigger point is that in the beginning, everything's driven by lust and hormones and attraction. And that's great. We need that. But that's more about chemistry, right? But compatibility takes time to be shown. And if you're looking for a long-term, committed, attached relationship, that takes even longer. Attachment can take a year or two. Because what attachment is really about is our system's wiring. And it's about the psychological process of really building someone into our lives, being able to really trust them, that takes time. But also our systems wire together. And what we'll sometimes do is it takes both people showing up, uh, what really builds attachment, right, are certain behaviors. And that's consistency, right, and reliability. Is the person there for me? And are they there consistently when I need them? And so that's why it takes time, because that has to be shown, that has to be proven to us, to our psyche, to our systems. We have to, when around you, feel soothed, and that will calm our, our system, versus not feeling safe around you. And all sorts of things are, emerge when we enter relationships, which is why I think relationships are the most powerful way to learn about what our work is. A relationship, as we've said, is a mirror being held up, saying, here's where your wounds are, here's where your trauma is, here's where you need to strengthen things. So it shows us what our work is. But 
the whole point of this is to point out that it is not based in rules, regulations, and labels, but we will use them if we don't feel safe otherwise. If we don't feel like we've really attached to someone, meaning we haven't given it time to see if we're compatible, we haven't given it time to see if they're reliable and consistent and present, right? What you'll do when you haven't earned that or what you'll do when it is just not there is you'll then lean on things like, well, let's be monogamous, as though monogamy promises attachment and safety and trust. It doesn't. Or you'll lean on structures, right? Like rules, who you're going to see, who you're not going to see, how often we're going to spend time together. Or again, labels like you're my boyfriend, my girlfriend. None of those things promise attachment. What does is the behaviors. What does is the relational experience of being with that person. And if you don't feel safe or like you can trust someone, monogamy, marriage, spending every night together, that won't create that. Because again, those things are about presence, how they show up, what it relationally feels like to be with this person. And if that is not there or they're not looking for that, you cannot force or build that, right? And that's something that's really important to know that we have to find someone who's looking for an attachment-based relationship like we are. And also we have to give it the time. It's something that's earned. But also we have to know that that isn't something that can be forced if it's not there. And that comes up with some people that have had a relational wound, like let's say cheating. They think, okay, well, I'm going to get the password to their phone and go through it and tell them they can't be friends with the gender that they're attracted to and all these things. But yet they don't feel any safer. They don't trust isn't built that way because the way that they are showing up to each other isn't correct. And they're not relying on that. It's about how you show up. It's about, again, the relational experience. Your psyche and your nervous system are either going to be soothed and start to be able to let go and be at peace because of the way the person's showing up when they're with you. They are very present. They are very consistent. They're actually engaging you. They're asking questions about your life. That's what creates that, but not these labels of, let me know what's going on in your phone. You know, Who are your friends? Are we boyfriend or girlfriend? Those are just very topical things that we throw around as a ritual or a symbolic commitment. But again, what really matters is what we're actually doing right? Do we really feel like they care for us? Do we really believe we can trust them? Right? And that's demonstrated in real time, not with these structures and labels and rules. And so the attachment system is something that isn't, you can't, you can't bypass it. You can't hijack it. You can't lie to it. It's very honest. It's very real. And it's very dependent upon what both people do, but that takes time. And that's why we should always delay making any serious commitments for at least a year, it takes that that much time or longer. And we want to give ourselves time to see what happens when our personalities come together. Because we've said this before, just because you're attracted to someone, just because you love them, just because you want a relationship or a marriage with them doesn't mean you're compatible enough to pull it off. Sometimes we can't have that. Because when our personalities come together, what is created is just not healthy or it just doesn't work for one of us or both of us. And we can improve on that, but we can't necessarily completely resolve that. Some people are willing to hang in there anyway, and they're just never completely in a content or happy-based relationship. It's up to you. But others realize, let's just then be friends. Because what comes when these romantic pieces are expected or demanded just don't really allow for something that has what it needs to have for sustainability and happiness, you know? We'll talk more about this slowly, little pieces. Um, coming up next, though, is question of the night. So still some time to weigh in on that. That is on our Loveland IG page in the stories. And then we're going to be closing out the show with DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com.
All right, y'all, we are back, and now it's time for question of the night. Question of the night is about your ex's sign and astrology. This is why they were the worst. So basically, we're going to talk about astrology tells us, based on people's signs, why they're the worst. Now, remember, astrology is a starting point. Some people believe in it. Some people don't. That's okay. Maybe just have fun with it. I don't know a lot about it. I'm not a heavy believer in it. I'm not discrediting it. I'm just saying it's not what I use to assess a relationship. I use chemistry and compatibility and more psychological and emotional components. But, you know, some people believe in astrology. Um, don't make it a deal breaker, right? And we're going to see parts of ourselves in all the different signs, right? Even though some people are maybe more true to form than others. Um, so what's your ex's sign? Oh, this one's going to get good. Aries. Well, often the struggle with an Aries is they tend to be selfish. That's what the studies are showing. It's the people that research astrology. Well, that's no good. <laughs> so I guess everyone that born in that time period has got a little selfishness. But what a great thing to learn about ourselves, right? Maybe that's where astrology can help us. It, can, it maybe points out a trait in ourselves that we want to work on right? We want to be better around that. Cause that's really what I want it to be about. Not calling out the other, but learning about who we are based on our sign. Um, Taurus acts like they're always right. Oof, that's a tough one. <laughs> Healthy relational thing is when we both feel like we have enough power and influence in the relationship, right? And if someone's always right, they dig their heels into their opinion. It's a very closed system and we're not going to feel empowered or cared for very dehumanizing. So make sure you always hold space for the fact that you're right based on your perspective or how you see the world. Uh, Gemini, it's, now, this is not me speaking. This is this study. It says that they're unreliable. <laughs> That's a horrible attribute. So be reliable. You can change it. We can change all these things. If you know that you tend to be unreliable, work on reliability. Show up. Be consistent. Follow through on what you say you're going to follow through on. That's how we build trust, right? Trust is shown with consistent behavior. That's why trust can be rebuilt by consistently behaving in a new or different or better way, right? Cancers, they're super moody. <laughs> That's hard to be around. So work on regulation if you're a cancer and you realize, yeah, maybe I'm moody. Work on being regulated. It's not enough to say I'm a cancer. Sorry about it. Nope. We can always improve our psychology and our emotional health. Always. There's no such thing as sorry about it. This is just how it is. Nope. Learn about who you are and be better. And if your partner's saying they're struggling with an aspect of who you are, see if you think it's something worth working on. And if it's because you're unreliable, yeah, work on that. If it's because you're super moody, yeah, work on that. Regulate yourself a little bit. Focus on maybe being more well-rounded, that even when I'm upset about something, I don't have to make a sad moment into a whole sad day, right? Just let it be that moment. Or if you had a bad day, don't make it a whole bad week. Or also do gratitude list. Recognize that while things are bad, there's sometimes some joy or pleasure to be found too. For Virgos, always have to micromanage. <laughs> so if that's you, let go. <laughs> let the other person be right. Sometimes try doing it the other person's way. You know what I mean? It's called flexibility. Oh, the wider range of skill sets. Uh, again, the question of the night is about people's star signs and what it means about them. And we're kind of looking at people's exes, but I'm also, I'm actually flipping it and using it so we can learn about ourselves. Um, a Libra. Often they can't keep, they can't keep private business private. Ah, so that person needs to work on boundaries. Less gossipy. You know, it's a whole thing. I just tell the truth. No, be better than that. Have boundaries. People that are like, I just tell the truth as though that somehow then makes it okay because it's truthful. No, you hurt people. There's no mental health in just doing things that cause suffering to self or other. Be better than that. So learn to have boundaries. Keep things that are meant to be private, private. 
That's an important skill. That's where safety and trust is built. If someone says something to you, it stays with you. And even after a breakup, it still stays with you. When a breakup ends, when a relationship ends, it doesn't mean you no longer have to hold boundaries. Because if you if you don't, if a relationship ends and you just let it all out, you're a red flag for future partners that, wow, you don't leave lovingly and you don't honor loyalty. And that if someone lets you down, you're going to talk smack and they should be wary of dating you because you'll do the same thing to them. That's what that shows. When we go through a breakup, how we act shows our future partners who we might be. And that's why I always say, try to find out how relationships end because that's a sign of people's mental health, you know? Um, For a Scorpio, so vengeful, it's scary. (laughs) I'm a Scorpio, I'm not vengeful actually, I hold no resentments. That's one thing I'm so glad, I'm not a resentful person. I let things go, I move on, I I let myself see people as they are if they've been accountable and truly apologized. And we all need to do that. Someone's accountable and apologizes, we have to let it go. We have to welcome people back to the to the island. We can't just, when someone hurts us, vote them out. People change and grow. That's the whole root of therapy, the idea that people change and grow. We all believe in that. I see it all the time. You know, As long as someone takes accountability and responsibility, they can be better. We can trust them again, but we need to see those factors. And finally, Aquarius. They think they're always smarter than you. <laughs> so just realize that people might have strength and assets in other areas, that you can't possibly know everything, that some people might be better educated or have more experience in something. Don't always think that uh, you know best. All right, y'all. Uh, we'll be back in two minutes with the two-minute promise. Question of the night for uh, Monday is up on our Loveline AG page in the stories, so weigh in on that. And you can check out past episodes of Loveline over at wearechannelq.com. You can binge, share, post. And uh, coming up next, though, we're going to be sliding into those DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Slide Your DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world. We want you to explore with confidence. Here we go. Hey, Dr. Chris, my name's Dee, and I've been dating this girl, Jasmine, for six months. She has a six-year-old, and we've talked about moving in together for a while, but I'm hesitant. Jasmine won't let me discipline her daughter. Bam, okay. Now, I'm not talking about hitting her or locking her in her room. Good, because children need adults to be better, and some adults will expect the child to do what the adult can't do, which is regulate themselves. Hitting a child, smacking a child, never okay, name-calling, never okay. Children need us to be better and more regulated, especially when they're not. So if our child's acting out, they need us to actually be the most grounded and regulated, not meet them where they're at by us losing our stuff as well, right? We see parents saying, don't act like that, and they're actually literally doing what the child was doing. It's like, hmm. Um, okay, so you're not talking about anything violent, good. I'm, I'm talking about when her daughter and I are alone and she's being rude <laughs> or disrespectful, which she does often. I wanna take away her iPad. <laughs> Punishment doesn't help, it doesn't. We know that now. Punishment doesn't change behavior. We, we see that with the carceral system, the prison system. Punishment doesn't change behavior. You actually have to show up to the child differently. And I'm not going to get onto a whole parenting segment right now. But um, yeah, you got to learn how to deal with that differently. Taking away the iPad actually probably escalates the situation. Because children aren't smart enough to understand. That's not going to be good enough intervention there. However, uh, I did it once and Jasmine got so mad at me and didn't talk to me for days over it. But I guess you should ask Jasmine, what is her preferred method of dealing with difficulty? And then do that because it is Jasmine's child. You've only been in her life for six months. You haven't earned the right to necessarily stake a claim like that, you know, and who knows if you're gonna stick around. So ask Jasmine, hey Jasmine, I know that you don't like the way that I tend to deal with um, your child when she's doing what I think is not great behavior. How would you prefer for me to manage that? And then that's what you do, because it's her child, right? You're only six months in. You're not a co-parent. 
you're just a visitor right now, you know? So you have to kind of know your place. And the child shouldn't trust you or know you well yet. You know, you're brand new. Um, she said, I have no right to discipline her daughter and that if anything happens to tell her about it and she'll handle it. Well, that's not reasonable because that's after the fact. And sometimes you need to know how she'd want you to deal with it in the moment. And so that's why I'd say to her, literally ask outright, tell me exactly what you want me to say and exactly what you'd want me to do when she acts like this. And that's what I'll do because you're her parent. I'm not. And I want to honor how you want to raise your child. Um, to me, that defeats the purpose of teaching a lesson. You have to get rid of teaching a lesson. If the child's young, lessons aren't learned. When a child's dysregulated, they need a regulated parent. And so you need to work on soothing and connecting, not punishing. So you, you have the wrong perspective, but most likely that's because you're not a parent, you know? And so talk to Jasmine again about what her preferred method is. She has no wiggle room on this. She'll never let me discipline her daughters as a deal breaker. No, <laughs> no, it shouldn't be a deal breaker for either of you, but you need to ask and honor and respond to what your partner's looking for for her child. You know, I think that that's very reasonable. Because um, we're, I, I'm a fan of attachment-based parenting where children sh don't know how to self-soothe. They're children. They need adults to help soothe them. It's called co-regulation. Children aren't born inherently knowing how to do those things. They need us, they're children. And they need us throughout the duration of their life. Even as adults, we need each other. Even as adults, we need what we call co-regulation, where at times on our own, we can't calm down or soothe ourselves, you know? And so, that's an important part of all of this. So I appreciate your question. Definitely not a deal breaker. Get the advice from her as to what she wants. And you have to kind of earn some more time and respect in there. It can't be your way right off the bat, especially when you're entering not really understanding child development and behavior, you know? Um, often children acting out are just them saying, I need attention, care, and to connect. So you have to see it as how, what are they looking for right now? What are they needing? And provide what they need. They're needing something. Children acting out aren't just because they're pains in the asses. It's because they don't know how to ask for what they need. They don't know how to soothe themselves. They're easily disrupted. And you have to be the anchor when they're the storm. You know what I mean? You can't go storm with storm, which is what you're doing. Punishment doesn't, doesn't teach lessons. We know that. We definitely know that. Neither does violence. So I'm glad you're not in on that one. All right, so that's our DM. Question tonight, as always, is back up on our Love Line IG page and the story. So weigh in on that. We'll be back on Monday. You guys have a great weekend. Focus on self-care and rest. Don't burn yourselves out. We're doing 60% at best. We're dropping the bar. We're still in a pandemic. We're looking out for ourselves. Self-care, joy, and pleasure. You know what I mean? We want to come out of the rest of this year feeling good, feeling nourished, feeling grounded, not all kind of beat up and bruised. So look out for yourselves, but more importantly, look out for those around you. We got to take care of everyone, right? Wear a damn mask six feet apart. Can't go wrong with that. You know what I mean? All right, y'all. As always, thanks for hanging out with me, and please enjoy the rest of your night.